Welcome to the MomQ Podcast, where we provide you with the godly intelligence and biblical resources to find peace, hope, and joy on your motherhood journey. I'm Candace Nasser, the founder of MomQ, a community of moms building healthy families. I hope you will be inspired and encouraged as we talk to moms of all ages about how God is using their unique gifts and calling to build His kingdom. Becoming a confident mom. The question of the week is, why do relationships matter to God? Why does God value relationships? And maybe you might be asking yourself, does he really care about my relationships? I mean, we spend a lot of effort and time in our relationships, right? In our marriage, in our families, in our community, in this room, in our church. Relationships are a big part of our lives. So the question is, why do these matter? So throughout MomQ, we're going to talk a lot about how do we do these relationships, right? Y'all want some practical tips, like how do I really relate to my husband? How do I really relate to my child? How do I deal with my difficult family member? This is being recorded, so we're going to just keep it all. Not that I have any difficult family members. Love all of y'all. But... The how is one thing, but the why is really important to ask ourselves why, right? Because it gives us an intrinsic motivation to to stick in it when the relationships get difficult. So that's where we're going to go today. There's so many things I would love to share with you. And like Candace said, I've been working on my seminary degree, so I've spent lots of time deep in the books and studying. But I want to just give you a couple practical takeaways today as we look at God's word and what is, why does God value relationships? So let's get going. By the way, y'all like that picture? Thank you, ladies, for being the models for my slide. For those of you who didn't know, I'm sorry. But you're, it's so great. All right, so the past few years have been anything but predictable or normal, right? COVID-19 pandemic has turned our world upside down. And daily we're hearing, you know, what's happened in our culture, the way we relate to one another, the way we relate to um, ourselves has changed, right? Because of this two-year period where we were told to isolate, put a mask on, you know, quarantine if you're sick, stay six feet apart, right? And then our youth were forced to go into virtual classrooms, right? Where they were, again, anxiety rose, they became disconnected, And honestly, a lot of them just were living in a virtual world. And so coming back to to people is, they're just not knowing how to do that, right? And then for us, as moms, as women in our homes, isolated, we learn to escape maybe through social media or um, just the latest Joanna Gaines farmhouse revival, right? So COVID has really unleashed some things that were probably already about to happen. So relationships, though, they're really important, right? Some of y'all in here are new to Austin, right? You've just moved in in the past couple years, and you're struggling to find relationships or even just familiar faces in the places that you do life or even familiar roads, right? Um, Then some of y'all are in the loneliness of motherhood, right? Motherhood can be super lonely. You're just thinking, I'm the only one that can't get my act together. You've got a pile of laundry and dishes, You've got somebody saying, mom, 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 all day long, and you're just, you're, you're like, can I get a break? And then when you do get a break, you just escape, 
right? And you just check out and just go into a, an imaginary world just hoping to get a sense of peace. Or maybe some of you married the love of your life, right? He was the man of your dreams, and now all of a sudden, you feel farther than him from, than ever, right? You're disconnected. You're thinking about when was the last time we were intimate with one, any t- one another, right? And maybe those days are getting longer in between. Um, some of us, me, um, are becoming empty nesters, right? We've worked so hard all these years. The demands of our kids' lives have taken over, and abruptly, they're gone. And then you go, what is the point of my life? What is the purpose? How am I going to connect with people when my kids' activities aren't putting demands on my schedule? Right? So maybe some of us, though, in here have great thriving friendships, marriages, relationships. We're doing great. But honestly, that doesn't come without really hard things with failure and forgiveness. And above all, nothing can fill the hole in our soul like the God-shaped hole that we have. Right? We are created ultimately for relationship with God. So the reality is, and the truth that I want to start with, is that we are created for connection. I don't know if anybody would debate that with me, but I, we are created for connection. We see it in the garden. Adam is naming the animals. What happens? He looks around. He can't find a match. An, a desire is awakened in him. Right? God lets him feel that loneliness. He's alone. He goes to sleep. He wakes up, and his des- God fulfills his desire when he says, at last, right? At last. He says, at last, this one, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The marriage relationship is just one of many relationships that we have. Now, without it, the human race ends, so we need it. But in the garden, God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. What does he mean? He wants them to fill the creation with his likeness, with his glory, and his love. The family grows. Communities grow. They cultivate the ground. They create resources, which creates, they use the resources to create supply and demand, right? Humans take those resources from that humble beginning of the garden to what we see today, right? And so the fact is scripture began in a garden, but it ends in a city full of people. So as we move into relationships and why they matter to God, I promise I'm going to get there, um, we're going to have a brief theological discussion. So I know some of y'all are very sleep deprived and, um, and that's okay, but a little stimulating conversation here for a second. It's important to do this because we need to examine the creator himself to find in our DNA where our desire for relationships comes from. And the fact is, what we believe about God and what our concept of him is really informs all the decisions of our lives. It will inform how we live out our relationships. So let's do a quick exercise. All right, so it's a little bit of a geometry lesson. I was a math teacher. So in your mind, I want you to picture a geometric plane. Some of you are like, I don't know what she's talking about. All it is is a piece of paper that extends all around, a flat piece of paper. That's a geometric plane. Now, get your tennis ball out and take that ball and put it through the paper. And miraculously, it's gonna just go through the paper. Okay, something in your mind should have looked like this. And if it didn't, it's okay, because this is a great picture. (laughs) See, the 3D object is going through the 2D plane. Now, the reality is we live in a 2D plane. God is in the 3D sphere. 
And when you pictured it, what we can see on the left is that geometric plane. All we can see is the part of God that enters our world. So it might look like a dot when it's touching. It might look like a circle as it comes through and then a dot again. So this is to help us get a framework around the fact that God is transcendent limitness. He is outside of our natural world. So God is infinite. He's in another dimension. But the cool thing is that he sent a letter to us, a love letter, inviting us into a relationship with him. And so why would God do that? Why would this infinite God who's way beyond us, transcendent above us, want to be in relationship with us? I propose this. Let's see. The big idea for today is relationships matter to God because he is personal and a relational being. He is a personal and relational being. I think this is on your, um, on your sheet there. He is a personal and relational, or I put it in, I keep saying personal and relational, and I wrote relational personal. Anyhow, he is personal and relational. Why does this infinite, out-of-this-world God value relationships? The key is in his essence, right? One of the most mind-bending attributes of God is he is trinity. He is triune. Tri meaning three, unis meaning one. He is one God in three persons. And he exists eternally, right? We see this in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. When Jesus is being baptized, it says, After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, settling on him. And a voice from heaven, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We see the Holy Spirit coming down on the Son, while the Father proclaims the pleasure in the Son. Right? So to be clear, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. I know, your brains are a little, it's, it's, it's a lot of mind-bending activity to try to wrap our minds around a triune God. But he gave us, um, he gave us his word to show us what this kind of looks like. So, in the Trinity... There are, three distinct, there are three persons, and they have different roles, right? As we study the scripture, we see a pattern. So the father sins, he directs and predestines. The son does the will of the father. He becomes the flesh and accomplishes a redemption. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. He's the power. And I was reading something that was interesting. With God and Jesus, we think about, we see them, right? We're always looking kind of at them. That's, and, but the spirit is not someone we look at. It's someone that indwells that works through us. So as you think about this concept of this eternal God, this being, that is kind of where we're at. So without the distinctions of the roles, then there's no distinction because they're completely equal in nature and, and everything. They are equal, but the distinction in their roles makes them three distinct persons, and without the three distinctions, there's not a trinity. So as we've laid the foundation for that, the doctrine of Trinity is one being, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the whole point we say that is that the fact is the Trinity means that God is, in his essence, relational. Right? He's a relational being. And within his own self, relationship exists. And it's the primary function. Right? There is a deep... Well, 
let's see. Okay, yeah, so we see this. So notice in that verse we had looked at about the baptism, right? The cool thing is that God is saying, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Do you see in the Trinity, there's love and joy. So this relationship is not some hierarchical, you know, controlling relationship. This is a dance of love. So C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, which I highly recommend Mere Christianity. It's a great book. He says there's a community of pulsating activity, a kind of drama, almost a dance. And so where do we get this idea of a dance? The Trinity, often y'all have seen the pictures of it in a triangle, right? Very linear. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. I want to propose something a little, little different. There's a Greek word called perichoresis. I only tell it to you because it's, um, it's important to understand where, I'm going, where I got this from. It's used to describe the eternal mutual indwelling of the presence of the Trinity. It can be translated as a rotation or going around. So it can be seen in like a Venn diagram of three circles that perfectly intersect one another, right? They're multidimensional and they rotate about a common center of love. So you see in the center, we have the Father, the Son, the Spirit. They're all intertwined. They're all in one another and, and around each other. <laughs> and, but what's in the center is divine love. If we look at, um, in, the, in the word, in John 17, so when Jesus is about to go to the cross and it's time for him to um, get on the cross, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that you may so your son may glorify you. There's an exchange of glory. In John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify him. There is a rotation of glory flowing around the Trinity. There is a mutual... In this perichoresis, there is this, this glory that flows in and through the Trinity. In a sense, it is like a dance. Now, it's not like a waltz or a two-step. It's like an English countryside dance. Have any of y'all seen Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice or read any of her novels? Yes, I know. So in those, right, there's a lot of forward and backwards and around and around. And, you know, there's movement and flow. And there is... Um, there is just this beautiful interplay. There's a give and a take. And really, the Trinity, nothing is taking. They're all giving. The heartbeat of the Trinity is, well, and this was a quick review. God is what? God is one being. He is three persons. He is equal in nature. He is distinct in his roles. And ultimately, God is divine love. He is divine love. So this trinity, this God, this beyond our mind, limitless, infinite, out of our world, came down to us to know us. And so we get to this. The heartbeat of the trinity, the heart of the trinity is self-giving, Others directed love. So I hope I helped you get a sense of who God is 
in relationship of the Godhead. Now, I really, I, I could write a novel on this because there's so much information that I didn't give you. And, uh, but I just wanted to start the conversation in your mind. My hope is that what, the box that you brought God in today, that you throw that away right now. Because God cannot be contained in a box. And ultimately, God can't be called a 3D figure because he's not. He's an eternal being that is beyond. He's not the dot. He's not the circle. He's not the sphere. He's way bigger. But our finite 2D minds need something to grasp as we try to connect with God. And so, the heartbeat of the Trinity, self-giving, others-directed, love. So, here we go. So relationships are really easy and comfortable all the time. False, right? <laughs> relationships are messy. They are so messy. Why are they messy? Because we are messy, right? There is something called an incurvature of the soul. So a curvature outward, to curve something out is to look out of yourself. To incurvature the soul is to look at ourselves. Right? And sin is any time we turn our eyes to ourself. Because when you're looking at yourself, who are you not looking at? You're not turning your eyes to God. Right? Fear, anxiety, all those things are an inward look at ourselves. Right? So we have to learn to turn our, our eyes outward. We tend to make who the center of our lives? Ourselves. We get out our calendar. And we're like, okay, what am I going to do this week? Well, this is when I have this, and this is when I have this, and this is how I'm going to fit this in, and oh, this kid needs that. Well, okay, oh, and my husband, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, but how do we order our lives around ourselves, our time, our needs, our wants, right? And we might think we are doing that for the benefit of the people in our family. But if we're honest, we're really doing it for ourselves because we're like, well, how am I going to manage my time and get my space and my wants and my needs met? It's, it's a disease we all have. It's okay. We can all admit it. So the incurvature of the soul is the turning away from God. This is when we're not looking to the interest of others, which contradicts the very will of God. Now, Philippians 2 is an amazing part of Scripture. I highly recommend you all to read it this week when you're in, um, when you wake up or when you're just laying on the floor watching your kids play. Or read it to them. Say, hey, we're going to read Philippians 2. It's going to be so fun. And here, we, so it talks about, it's Paul writing from prison. I mean, he's in prison, so he's writing them. And he says, um, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, we all in this room, the point is that we're all coming here from a seeking God, a common spirit. What does he want us to do? He says, be like-minded. Well, so what kind of mind do we need to put on if we're going to be like-minded with Christ and the Spirit and God? If we're going to join in that holy dance, right? What's at the center of the Trinity? God, divine love. So if we are going to get in a relationship with him and be like-minded, it says we're going to do nothing out of selfish ambition. What? Or self, or vain conceit. I memorized this in another version. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of one should not look to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Right? Now, obviously, there is a healthy balance to this. I'm not saying just, you know, just be a, a slave to the people around you. But really, 
we're, we tend to self-protect pretty well. Like, our instinct is protect ourselves. And so um, the reality is it's much harder to look to the interests of others, right, to consider, okay, I've given up my career for the interest of these little people that God gave me, right? And I'm going to let go of trying to call my, you know, get my props from my career to just dying to myself. Because you know what Philippians 2 goes on to talk about? talks about the attitude of Christ. This is what got me, though. I was studying this, and I was like, okay, that's a great verse. But you know what verse comes in Philippians 2, 5? He says, in your relationships, which I was like, great, we're talking about relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ. And then it goes on to say, what attitude did Christ have? He did not consider equality something to be grasped, even though he was God. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, death on a cross. Right? He emptied himself. And so in our relationships, we're to have the attitude of Christ. So our relationships must, in order to glorify God, they must, we must overcome the turn towards ourselves. Right? We've got to turn our, our focus outward. And we can't do that. It's impossible. We have to do what Candace talked about last week. We have to take off that ugly brown thing that we're wearing, and we need to put on the new robe that was given to us when we came to faith in Christ. And so if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, this is not possible for you. And so if you're like, this is impossible, you're right. Because what you have to do is you have to take the old life, throw it up, step into the new life, and live by the power of the Spirit. Again, you were here before. In your life, your orbit was yourself. But God invites you over here into the love dance of the Trinity, where you will orbit God at the center. And along the way, that orbit gets bigger and bigger as the body of Christ grows. Right? In the garden was Adam and Eve, and at the end is Jerusalem with a, a city full of people. The whole point from Genesis to Revelation is that God wants to grow his kingdom. Right? And the only way to grow the kingdom is through relationships. It's through what y'all are doing by becoming moms. God thanks you for that. And the earth continues, the population grows, and the kingdom grows. So the enemy wants to lie to you and tell you this, like he told Eve, that God is withholding something from you, right? And so that you shouldn't go over here. You need to stay over here and focus on the things that you want to focus on. But Jesus came to earth not for what he could take from us. He's not wanting to put us in line. He came to give us something. He circled us first, right? It says we love because he first loved us. He didn't look to his own interests. He looked to our interests because he wanted to invite us to the divine dance. So it's clear that relationships matter to God because he is personal and relational. He is a personal and relational being. So how is this useful? Relationships do a lot of good things for us. One, they help us become self-aware through the feedback we get from others. Hopefully in your groups, you're sharing, and then maybe somebody's brave enough to say, maybe you're not seeing what I'm seeing, but what I hear you say is this. Um, self-awareness. Um, probably your husband is, if you have a husband, he's probably very good at pointing out things that you might not be aware of, and you might not like that, but... 
That happens in my house a lot. Um, relationships help us become empathetic, right? Because as we sit in our groups, as we live our lives, we hear the struggles of others and we start to, and then we have our own and then we just start to have this, this empathy within our, our relationships. Like, yeah, I've struggled with that. Like knowing y'all are moms, I already have empathy with you. Like there's so much involved in being a mom. Uh, it makes us grateful. Relationships make us grateful because we're not alone. Again, the big infant God outside of this world came near to us, right? And not only did he come near to us, but he sent us friends and people, humans, to live and dwell with us. Um, our relationships help us become self-controlled, right? And parenting is probably the greatest test of self-control. Because when your little boy is on the ground throwing a tantrum, you just Pick him up and take him out and, you know, like, you're not going to act like that, right? It reveals how much I want to be in control of that kid, right? I want to change his behavior, but God wants to change his heart. And so that in relationships, we learn to, to uh, let our hearts be changed. We also learn a lot about forgiveness because we need to be forgiven. We're wrong, and we're often wronged, right? It's messy, so relationships help us learn about forgiveness. So when I was pregnant um, with my first, I had all kinds of hopes and dreams. I was going to have a big family of five. It was going to be amazing. But a few weeks into my pregnancy, I got the flu. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. My mom's like, you do not have the flu. You have morning sickness. And it never went away for nine months. So I remember laying in bed, and I just was crying. I'm like, I can't do this ever again. Like... This is terrible. I was so lonely and isolated. And I thought, well, we're going to have one kid, and it's going to be great. Then magically, when he was about nine months old, we're like, let's do this again. Like, the, all the pain in the past just disappeared. And then with that one, sick. For, and then I had the other one. I'm like, oh, never going to do this again. And then magically, there was a third. And then I said, no more. <laughs> um, but it was a dark and lonely time, honestly. Um, I, you know, I would, especially when the kids were little, I would just look at the clock. When is nap? When is the nap? Let's get home for the nap. Mama needs her time. Y'all need a nap, right? And then it was like, okay, nap's over. When's, when's bedtime? When's bedtime? Okay, let's all get back to bed, right? And, um, you know, let me just say that the fact that I was always looking forward to sleeping was not healthy. And clearly, I was depressed, right? Clearly, that was not a healthy place to be. So... Had it not been for my small group at church, had it not been for other moms around me, for my sister who was going through the same thing, for my mom who would come help, you know, I would have just, I would have just drowned, right? I needed those relationships. Um, so, let's see. And to be honest, I'm really not wired naturally for friendship. I like to be alone. I could live in the mountains, I had some books and some stories to escape into. I could be great on my own. But God said, Annie, that's not, that's, not how I, that's not how I designed you to be in this world. So God gave me a special friend. When we were pregnant with our first kids, we met. And I, and I will be honest that when I first met her, I really didn't like her because she was going to steal all my friends in my small group. And, but soon we became great friends we started watching our kids play with their Thomas the Train and the playground. They went to preschool together. 
And then she decided to move on my street a couple doors down and really get in my world. Um, and so we would sit outside and watch them, you know, ride up and down the street on their rip riders. And then we would watch them get on and off the bus. Then we watched them go from training wheels to driver's licenses. And then we watched, and then we let our, them go to, at the same time. One went east and one went west. I knew I was going to cry when I talked about this. Because relationships are really at the heart of who we are. Right? Her friendship is why I'm here today, Kendra. You know, in the ordinary moments of raising our children together, and I mean ordinary, you know, she would often remind me of the importance of marriage, right? Or about being a good neighbor. When I just wanted to stay inside, she would say, we're going out in the cul-de-sac. We're going to play. We're going to engage with the neighbors. And I would say, okay. She's been alongside me in the darkest days of my life and the brightest. Right, I believe that God gave her to me as part of the dance because she has her life centered around the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And I do too. And together, we're joined in the dance. And all of us in this room, if you've accepted Christ, we are joined in a dance. So, relationships take time. I tell you the story of my 20-year friendship with Kendra because it takes time, repeated experiences, honesty, and a shared purpose of our lives. So again, relationships are messy. We have the family we choose, the family God gives us, and then we have the family that we've been adopted into. The family, oh, did it die? The family we've been adopted into. Relationships matter to God because he is a personal and relational God, and he is always seeking to expand his circle. Will you join him today? All right, let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for the divine dance. We thank you for your nature and your being. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're so much bigger than anything we could even comprehend. And that yet you've given us enough that we can trust you. That you are faithful always and that you will never not be. That there's never a day that you will be different but thank you, Lord, that there's a day we will be. <laughs> God, thank you that you're transforming our lives and giving us hope. We look forward to when the, uh, when the new Jerusalem arrives and when you make your dwelling among your people. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I did want to read the, that one verse um, because I think it's really important that we end with some hope, right? Because honestly, as we dig into relationships, we are going to unpack some really difficult things, if we're honest with ourselves. But there is a lot of hope. So it says, well, it did say, it says it, I'm finding it. <laughs> Let's see. And maybe it's not going to say it. Anyhow, in Revelation, which is so funny, I did not even bring my actual Bible today. Um, here we go. I really want to read this. Okay. In Revelation 21, verses 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is among humanity, is with humanity. He will live with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. All right. So go to your groups. What, what? Oh, yeah. And this is a great verse, too. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. All right. And there's my work cited. <laughs> If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please feel free to share it with others who might be interested. You can also give us feedback in the comment section, and we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about anything you heard today, or would like to suggest topics for us to cover in the future, message us on Instagram and Facebook at MomQ512. We'll see you back here in just a couple of weeks.